0: Welcome to the five things this week in social. Today, we are live in front of our colleagues here at Gray and on a virtual call. Folks in the room, say hello. All right. Each week, we search high and low for the five most relevant things going on in the world of social to bring you everything you need to know to get through the week. However, this week is a little different. We are digging into the recently wrapped South by Southwest and giving you five key takeaways for brands. Our friend and co-host Amanda Davis was there in Austin and saw, heard and experienced all that South by Southwest has to offer. So with us today is our emerging tech expert, Amanda Davis. Hi, Amanda. Oh
1: my gosh. Hi, Joey. Hi, Tommy.
0: And we are joined by our fellow co-host and resident Gen Z ambassador. Here today for color commentary, since he didn't get to go to Austin, it's Tommy Boyce. Hi, Tommy.
2: Hi, Joey. I must say I couldn't go to Austin because I was dog-sitting Amanda's dog. Shout out to Dakota.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay. Before we get into it, Amanda, quick question. What was the vibe like in Austin?
1: It was cold first of all. The vibe was interesting. I think, you know, we're coming out of a winter from a pandemic that's lasted two years and all of a sudden we're thrust into this like live experience. So it was definitely still that awkward robot, how do I interact with you moment. Um, But it was nice. Everybody was kind of going through it together and figuring out how to network and have social conversations again. So we were all on the same
0: page. Yeah. And how was the vibe with Dakota?
2: Dakota was lovely. Dakota was clingy and she was, she she would stare her shadow all day, Um, like I'm not even kidding, that's how she spends her time. That's my girl.
0: (laughs) Excellent. Well, I'm Joey Scarillo, and maybe someday I'll get to go to South By. But in the meantime, here are the five things. First up, digital events will supplement physical events, but not cannibalize them. Second, mixed reality is finally finding its stride. NFTs have officially moved beyond speculative value propositions. Fourth, Web3 is deeply impacting the future of brand building. And finally, gaming and social are merging to create an unignorable metaverse. Okay, Amanda, you are in the hot seat. Let's get into it. Digital events. Let's talk about it.
1: So this was obviously the most top of mind for people that had attended South By for the last two years. It was held digitally um, since the pandemic started. And obviously a lot of the tech advancements and the innovation had focused on how do we bring these events to a digital setting and what does that look like? So there was this really interesting dichotomy of having all of this great tech that allows us to have digital events, but physically experiencing the value. You of being in person and connecting in person. So I think a lot of questions that you know we receive are why would someone go to a digital event when they can go to a physical event? And the conversations that a lot of us were having were they're both equally important and they both provide totally unique experiences. One example that was brought up on one of the panels is when sports and, you know, baseball specifically started being broadcast on TV, there was a really large concern um, from the teams that people wouldn't go to the games because they could just see it on TV. So they're not going to have the viewership physically. But obviously, looking back, we can see there's an experience of watching, you know, a baseball game on TV and there's one of watching it um, in person. And those can obviously like reach different amounts of people. So a lot of the conversations, candidly, kind of I expected to hear around how events will be pulled into these digital settings. And it was more about how do we balance those and be able to offer experiences that audiences get to choose how they want to interact. Um, last thing I'll say is concerts specifically, obviously, we're a big topic of what we saw during the pandemic. And when you think of some of the largest venues, you know, the Madison Square Garden, you can have a 20,000 attendee concert. But when you look at experiences like in Fortnite with Ariana Grande or or Travis Scott, those numbers are 10 to 20 million attendees. So understanding that we can pierce apart what we're trying to achieve with these events and use both physical experiences and digital experiences to let the audience decide how they want to tap in.
0: So while you were at South by, which was obviously a physical event, were there there any hybrid events or anything that you were able to see this in practice?
1: Honestly, there wasn't. There was a a full tract of programming that was fully digital and you can view from home. And then there was a attractive programming that was in person, live in Austin. What I did find interesting is how those were plussed up with ways that were driven by technology. So there would be pop-ups where if you had the app, you could layer over like an AR experience with an NFT pop-up. Or if you were online, you could obviously kind of like bring your questions in and have a more immersive way to connect with the speakers and the panelists. That was interesting. I think as we move forward, what South by and a lot of these, especially kind of like conferences will start to do is merge those a little bit more seamlessly. But I think for this year, they tried to,
0: to keep them slightly separate. Yeah, Tommy, have you experienced any hybrid events yet?
2: I haven't really. It's been sort of a mix. I've been at a concert that was live streamed, a concert in New York that was live streamed on Twitch. But otherwise, it feels like we're still trying to parse out like what goes where. And I remember, it's interesting, there was a band, Muna, who performed at South by Southwest, Stream Muna, everyone, they're amazing. And they also really early on, just randomly in the fall, they had their own live stream concert that me and my friends all had a little watch party over Zoom, which is funny using Zoom still. Like now they were sort of out of that section of COVID. But I, obviously that one, and South by Southwest was not live streamed. So it's interesting figuring out like when it's being used and implemented and when it's not. And I think it's such a good example, like using live music because that was such a part of the pandemic that was forced to go totally the one way out of nowhere. Like same for, you know, theater too, how to adapt to this, you know, extenuating circumstance. And so I haven't really but I'm excited to see what people can do to like sort of, you said, Amanda, like kind of merge the two and figure out like what combination works best if you're trying to do a hybrid event because maybe you don't need one at all. Maybe you want to go just digital for the, for the size and scope of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right, well let's jump over now to our second thing, mixed reality. It sounds like it's growing up what's the latest and greatest?
1: Yeah, so mixed reality is not a new topic, candidly. It's, you know, the use of VR with your headsets, the use of augmented reality, um, applying different immersive tactics, whether it's haptics or sense or or smell or any of those things, to an experience and making it feel really tangible. And I I kept hearing the same sentiment, and I'll probably bring it up with our other topics too, in that when we have a new piece of tech or innovation, the first thing that we do with it is kind of make it very novel and treat it almost as like a very simplified version of what it can do as a toy. So I think, you know, knowing that VR and AR have, have been around for a while, um, they've been advanced over years, but our first, you know, function of it was to really immersively tell a story, which is, is a great use of it. We've seen a lot of great applications there. But what I noticed as it relates to how this tech is being used going forward is actually applying it to solving problems and finding what it can solve, especially from a brand and consumer sense that may be physical. Reality or just 2D flat digital reality can't do. You know, there's a couple of ways that this kind of came to life in different industries. There was a lot of conversation around physical product design. When you have something that is 3D and is interactive in a sense, that process of being able to design, build, almost hold something, walk around something that's actually just a hologram, whereas you'd have to send a shoe or some physical object across the country to every team to kind of weigh in and touch, now can be fully digital. Mm -hmm. And again, like being able to receive feedback live, being able to, you know, figure out who's going to eventually wear the shoe, let them look at it, see it on their feet, give you feedback about what it looks like. So that process of design and product design, I thought was really interesting application for Mixed Reality. Also production and how we use this technology to create content. I thought it was interesting. It was mentioned that the IKEA catalog is now 100% all 3D models. So like Mm -hmm. what you see in that catalog just doesn't exist. Some of the showrooms exist, but everything on the website that it actually is like a product is all a 3D model. It just looks that sharp and very tactile. So things like that and understanding how are we innovating production and what do we actually need to physically shoot and create on site? And what can we supplement or how do we use this kind of more immersive technology to create those scenes or that content? it was really interesting.
0: So you're telling me the mom in my magazine is not real.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Tommy, what jumps out to you about uh, this technology? To
2: me, what jumps out is how far we've come in such a short amount of time. I remember my first introduction to XR was the Nintendo 3DS. I don't know if we remember that. And that was also my first, that was like baby's first AR. There are these little cards and you point the camera at them, I swear to God, With they're little games, like AR games. And now there was an amazing headline. I believe it was from the New Yorker where it was this VR experience of of this story of this uh, Chinese internment camp. And it's available for not just for Oculus, it's also you can watch on your phone, on your laptop. But seeing it was a 20 minute virtual experience that was, I went and watched my phone and it was so, so moving. And seeing how we've gone from, again, it being a toy that's a part of a Nintendo console to being able to tell these really fleshed out, fully immersive, just like pieces of art. I think it's amazing. And seeing what we'd be able to do with it, just in 10 years from that to that, how far we'll be able to go in, you know, five years with the technology we currently have now, is just really inspiring and makes me think of like, what's the best practices we could use for this.
1: And specifically too, like, I think that's 100% right. And how that's applied to like solving a problem that we don't Mm. have the ability to do in real life. Like if you have a physical product or a skincare product or a makeup or hair care product, you might not be able to demo that to hundreds of thousands of people across the country, but you can provide access to it in an immersive way so that someone can see how makeup looks on them or how a product might work with their hair or might help them achieve a look that they maybe don't want to commit to, or they're not sure how it's going to work. So understanding, like, what are those obstacles that we're trying to overcome? And there's likely some version of a mixed reality or cross reality. I never use that word because it sounds like a 90s boy band. Cross reality. But how can you use that to actually, like, add a value and be applied to, like, solving a, a problem? I think it's, it's slightly new, candidly, for, for the technology.
0: All right, let's jump over to our third thing, NFTs. We obviously have heard a lot about NFTs over the past year. They're everywhere. There. So what did you learn at South by?
1: I learned that they were everywhere. Literally <laughs> every conversation, every single panel, every block, there was wheat pastings, there was flyers, they were everywhere. Everything that you went to probably had an NFT attached to it, which was awesome and really interesting. And I think there was a lot of conversation around what's next. And I think when we look at 2021, that novelty and simple application of what an NFT can do was really applied to artwork and speculative value It was almost like a gold rush last year. How do I gobble up the most NFTs and try to, you know, turn a profit on it? Again, that simple first step of an NFT. Now we're turning the corner and it's really about how are we leveraging blockchain technology to help us and support our systems and make things a little bit more efficient and easier to use. I thought it was interesting. Evan Keast, who's the co-founder of Doodles, which is one of the most popular NFT projects right now. He started one of his panel discussions by saying NFT culture is weird and annoying. And I think that <laughs> I, and I, I, NFT culture by design sounds like it might, you know, bring a specific kind of conversation or approach. What was very refreshing is being there in Austin on the ground with a lot of people who are in this world is like we know, like we know how it was used (laughs) and how it kind of the conversation and, and culture seems from the outside. But as we're looking forward, how do we create these deeper and more decentralized processes and operations that help us come together, bring a community together and kind of have this value exchange that's more than just speculative art buying For lack of easier reference. Yeah.
0: Tommy, I'm curious a little bit about NFT culture. Where do you sort of see it moving forward? I mean, do you wanna be part of it or are you trying to avoid it?
2: I, I think of it as a sort of looking from the sidelines, checking and being like, how are y'all doing? And they're just like going a mile a minute talking about, well, the, uh, Board 8 Yacht Club just released their own coin and I saw that and I had to take a step back and go for a walk outside because it's just, it's so much. And it is so fascinating and there's such little like great nuggets that you can take from this. I mean, you think of everything with like a DAO, a diversified anonymous organization and the sort of community and camaraderie and just like building essentially like a board that comes from that. It's it's so fascinating how that sort of comes out of this just bizarre kind of idea and this sort of intangible, literally non-fungible objects. And so I think it's fun and important to parse through, but I don't think I'm seeing myself fully like, I'm not, I'm not diving in. I'm, I'm, am on a safari. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: I, th- I think the reality too, Tommy, is what you're mentioning, like things like DAOs, which if you're not familiar, are essentially community run organizations that don't need a central leader. It's basically self-governed organizations that can drive processes forward, token economics to the point of having a coin where you can have almost like a membership and loyalty program that is managed on a ledger that's decentralized. So these applications are true functionality of NFTs and candidly, like they're not that like sexy. There's not like a a really cool piece of art on top of it that you're like seeing the immediate value of and understand from where we are as applications. It's an operational base to how you can create different kind of consumer loyalty programs, consumer connections and build communities that aren't coming from a centralized authority but actually redistribute value to back to the community by design it's not doesn't seem like the sexiest thing right off the bat but the way that these nfts and blockchain tech is being applied is super interesting for brands to start to understand how they can leverage it
0: yeah I think it is interesting to to see where and how brands can engage with this sort of technology which leads perfectly into the next one thing number four is web 3 and its impact on the future of brand building Amanda why don't you break that down for us
1: yeah and just I know we've talked about web 3 on on five things before it's essentially this of consumer-run, community-run, focused internet. If NFTs were everywhere, Web3 was everywhere on top of that. The idea of Web3 being this like new way that people are connecting on the internet as well as connecting with brands also is not a totally new subject, but it has created this umbrella of tech startups, software companies, NFT projects, communities that I think is gaining a lot of momentum and traction and it is impacting how brands interact with consumers. And when I say brands, I don't just mean the brands that we kind of work with in advertising. You know, these DAOs, these NFT projects, creators, influencers, tech products in the space. Simple summation of it is that Web3 as an evolving movement kind of requires a back and forth value exchange between consumers and whatever that brand might be. So it's not as transactional as what we might have seen in Web2 and are seeing currently in Web2. It's much more focused on how do you bring the consumer into your experience, continuously provide value and exchange. And this phrase that I heard that I thought was really interesting is, super serve that community. So reward Mm. someone for being a fan of yours. If you're an artist, reward someone for buying your product. If you're a physical brand, reward someone for supporting your project. If you're a DAO or an NFT project and share those values and create a much more accessible and value exchange relationship with them.
0: Yeah. So Tommy, if you were advising a brand on readying themselves for the Web3 future, what would you, what would you advise?
2: I think the biggest thing, and I think that Web3 can be a lofty concept To me, it's just power to the people. I think that's such an important topic nowadays, how people, especially younger people, Gen Z ambassador, blah, 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 they want to take ownership of their brand and have some part of it. They want to know that their brand is contributing to some either net positive or just like a net neutral on the world. And so I think there's a give and take that comes from that. And there's a recognition that, hey, the people who buy your products, they want to have a say in how it's made. They want to be supporting something that is doing some sort of good. And so it's just readying yourself for a lot of feedback and criticism that isn't really necessarily polite or fun. It's not fun to receive criticism or be told the way of how you're working is not sustainable or it's not fun to be criticized or get feedback that doesn't support the way you're currently operating. But it is important to foster these relationships and doing so that means creating and fostering that connection and being able to change and be receptive to the noise you're getting from the public. And that to me is where the decentralization of Web3 is like the core tenant that we need to take both as like brands and as people, you know, making campaigns for brands into the future.
0: All right. Uh, Speaking of the future, let's talk metaverse. Gaming and social are merging to create an unignorable metaverse. Well, lucky for us, we've got our metaverse expert right here. So, why don't you talk to us about what you <laughs> learned? <laughs> <made>
1: um, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't go through a recap of South by without talking about the metaverse. It was a, a large part of the conversation, and especially how brands and experiences are showing up. And I've specifically framed it in this way of gaming and social experiences creating this metaverse because what we have right now, we have this gaming environment that is, you know, based on the core function of gaming, live play, etc., that is adding things like play to earn, where someone is basically gamified and rewarded for playing, you know, more often or achieving more in their game. And it creates an economy in that way. At the same time, we have social platforms adding features and functionality feel more native to how we interact with each other. This is things like adding in audio spaces or different content formats on these channels, understanding how do we as humans want to socialize and how does that look different than what we might consider social media proper. While all of those are kind of growing and evolving and, and blurring the lines a little bit, we also have these new metaverse platforms that are slightly separate from each of these that are trying to do both. They're trying to bring people in to socialize, to have an experience, but also to reward them and to make it something that people want to keep interacting with. The Sandbox is a really popular metaverse platform, and they've just released their season pass alpha, they're calling it, which essentially the more that you go into different experiences on the platform, the more that you get rewarded and you get the in-game credit Currency for just poking around and playing games and doing stuff. There's other metaverse platforms that are rewarding people for having a conversation with someone or meeting someone new or bringing a friend in. So while the metaverse is still a really large and early topic, we start to see all of what would be traditionally separate experiences and platforms start to pull and merge the features and functionality based on how people want to interact. And I would say we talk about on the five things a lot like how social platforms are kind of, you know, vying to get a new feature or functionality and who's going to do it best. And I think that we'll actually start to see that open up and it'll be metaverse platforms, gaming titles and publishers, as well as social platforms. You know, you think of the obvious big one, Meta, figuring out how they can apply this functionality and attract the most audience and experiences.
0: Was there anything specifically metaverse related that you saw that got you excited while you were there? (laughs) You can be critical.
1: I'm going to answer your question by not answering it. And I will say there was a lot of conversation around the technology and what is driving it. It's a lot of advancements in data processing, how we're using AI, how we're making this product really engaging and interesting. I did crave a little bit more conversation around how the metaverse is being built and how we can make it an equitable, accessible space that really supports the world in a way that perhaps Web2 and previous platforms didn't do. So I know that
0: is not the most satisfying answer to your question. No, but it's fine. Tommy, uh, what are your key thoughts or takeaways?
2: My takeaway is I'd love to make money from meeting a friend. I think that'd be great. We should <laughs> bring that to the real world. I think Amanda, your last point is very interesting. I read, when I was home, I read a lot about South by Southwest. There's a great op-ed. I forget where it was. Might've been The Verge. And it talked about how there is a need for these spaces to be built by people who are not straight white men in either VC or tech and how that at the moment currently is not happening at the level of which we want to see. And it's the idea of like, what kind of worlds are we building? What kind of worlds do we want to exist in? And if it's only being made with this one class of person will anyone who's not a straight white man in vc or tech want to be part of the metaverse so there's also like there's a part of a question of how do you draw people in from different experiences and backgrounds to, to this world to get them to connect i think it's so interesting because like the metaverse as we're seeing now i'm imagining like sort of like a wave of like things just coming together and forming Just that makes no sense I <laughs> the fun of a live podcast on tape I think it's important for us to recognize the necessity that comes in making spaces that are equitable and that people want to go to. That's the thing. And that's what I'm currently not really getting right now. There's so many amazing prospects and ways the metaverse is being used for brands and for everything. What I'm still missing from this conversation, what I would love to hear from the future is why do people want to go there besides the fact that it's new and cutting edge? What is it about it that specifically allows us to connect on a level that's promising that I think it can deliver? I just want to like, I want that like last like little piece of the puzzle. So that's sort of like going off your point, what I want to see from the future of this and hopefully at the next, you know, South by Southwest.
0: All right. Amanda wasn't the only person from Gray to go to South by Southwest. Gray's senior manager of social and influencers, Kyla Sloan was there too. And we've been looking for an opportunity to collaborate with her on this podcast. And this felt like the perfect fit. So I recently spoke with Kyla about her key takeaway and here's what she had to say.
3: You know, I have to say That my time at South by was very enjoyable. I think based on programming that I was able to attend and just like outside events, I think it was great. But the one thing that surprisingly was missing, in my opinion, was the lack of programming around influencer marketing, which I found really surprising on Sunday, I went to an event that was hosted by Create Cultivate. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the brand, but they do a lot of experiential, engaging pop-ups. And so their pop-up was very much focused on, like, creators, entrepreneurs, and it's it's backed by women, and it's targeted, you know, to speak directly to women. But outside of that event, there wasn't much influencer marketing programming, and I just found that to be a huge shock because this year alone, influencer marketing is predicted to reach $16.4 billion. And I just feel like with that type of impact, you know, between the programming around speaking directly to creators as well as programming, educating brands about influencer marketing. I think that that's a huge deal. What
0: effect do you think that had on some of the brands that were at South by?
3: The way that South by works and how we know it to work is whether you're pitching or, or submitting an ideal for a panel or a topic for a panel. I mean, that's where it starts. So it could be a combination of it just not being a priority or it's still being in the early phases, although there is a lot of revenue being invested within the industry. I'm not exactly sure. I will also say, though, that Triller actually invited me to a panel that I was able to attend where their programming was 100% geared around Black creators and their Black creator initiative. So that was amazing to see, but it actually wasn't an official South by event. It was separate. So I think that brands are starting to infiltrate the system slowly, but I would just like to see it on a larger, more grand scale for sure. Especially, of course, I'm biased because I'm working in influencer marketing myself, but I see the value and the impact that it has on this industry.
0: What were some of the key takeaways you had from the Triller panel?
3: I'd say that it was a combination between working with creators you know, appropriately, meaning investing your time and getting to know them, investing your time in as a brand, by the way, but investing your time in appreciating their craft and and the content that they're already creating, understanding that when you're, when you're wanting to work with them, you're investing in them, but you're also getting, you know, everything that they have to offer. But the other, the other big piece that I think really stood out and I was, I was happy to see was a lot of conversation around how black influencers specifically, they really do create their culture's engine. And so a lot of times, many of the trends we see, many of the common themes we see on social, they are started by Black creators, and they don't often get the recognition they should. And oftentimes they're not paid their worth you know, in comparison. Because we, we see a lot of information come out around you know Black creators and what they're making as influencers on social versus white creators, for example. And so there's a lot of candid conversation around those topics, which I think is very necessary for brands to have that insight, for sure.
0: Awesome. Well, Kyla, this was fantastic. I am so glad we got to have you participate in this conversation, seeing as you were at South By and you had such a great time and so many awesome takeaways. Um, We look forward to having you on the podcast again because this was so fun. Let's do it. All All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, you guys didn't know you were going to get a bonus thing today. So six
1: things. How about ooh. that? Six
0: things. I found it interesting that influencer marketing was basically left out at South by kind of surprising to me. Amanda, was there a lack of influencer marketing that you found?
1: Yeah, 100 percent agree. It was not a large topic discussed as I imagine it would have been in the last couple of years. And part of that, I perhaps attribute to the redefining of what an influencer is and what they deliver. You know, influencers, and kind of social media proper heyday was obviously, is obviously content creation, video creation, music creation, things like that. And I think, you know, judging by the conversations that were had this year at South by influencers and creators is so amalgamous. It can look like so many different things. It can be someone who designs an experience in Roblox. It can be someone who creates wearables in, you know, Minecraft or some other platform and some other version of creation that it's not as easy to pinpoint into what we would consider traditional content creation in that way. Perhaps that's why the conversation was slightly absent because it is such an evolving name and category for who falls into that and what do they, what can they deliver and how do you work with them?
0: Yeah. Was there anything that was talked about a lot beyond the five things we talked about here today that is worth mentioning.
1: Yes, actually. I was really surprised at how much conversation there was around outer space. There was so much, so many discussions and panels and sessions around how do we as a society responsibly go to outer space? Um,
0: (laughs) Maybe we'll do another podcast on outer space. (laughs)
2: That's so silly.
1: (laughs) It's easy to think like that's so far away. Oh my goodness. But you know, we have SpaceX. We have, I think, Pete Davidson's going this month. It's not that far away. I was really taken off guard by how much of an important conversation this is to have right now. I don't think there's a huge takeaway for marketers yet, unless like you really got your eyes on the moon. But it is something that was kind of a reality check for me to say like, we have this technology that's very accessible and in the next few years is going to advance very quickly. So keep your eyes peeled for outer space.
0: Wow. All right, Tommy, any final
2: thoughts? I can't wait to buy airspace above Venus. This is going to be great. (laughs)
0: All right. Well, friends, that does it for us today. If you don't already... Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app and share this episode with somebody you know. If you've got questions, comments, concerns, points of interest, or complaints, email us at podcast@gray.com. At of course, I want to thank Amanda and Tommy for joining us and Kyla for jumping in as well. And of course, thanks to Danielle and the crew over at Gramercy Park Studios for making us sound amazing every week. This week, we want to thank Kevin McManus, Christina Hyde, Alexa Papaduke, and Hillary Barletta. But mostly, we want to thank you, the listener, and of course, our first ever Live audience. We'll see you next time, and in the meantime, be social. We out.
1: Oh. Woo. That was fun.
0: The five things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Grey New York. Produced by Joey scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin and Amanda Fuentes. With post production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson, Christina Hyde, and Liz McGovern. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.